Well, there was even a roar at the end of that song called Roar by Katy Perry. And the roar really sets the theme for our long-form interview, which has as one of its main messages that leadership is born in the wild. Adelaide Nung speaks with leadership coach Mike Green, who believes in allowing the wildest experiences to bring out the best leader in you through a deep process of self-discovery. We'll let Adeline explain. There's something to be said about being removed from your usual environment, becoming untethered, if you like, to address some of the most important questions that have been quietly nagging at you for years. But when that untethering experience involves wild bears in Alaska or the eagle hunters of Mongolia, that's a whole other level which could be a great idea for an ultimate incentive or team-building trip with a transformational result. Mike Green believes you'll never discover the truth about yourself behind a desk, but in the rugged wilderness of Alaska or the breathtaking plains of the Serengeti or in the stunning Gobi Desert. These wild environments, he says, challenge us to become the best version of ourselves by tapping into the courage within us to achieve new levels of performance. I gotta admit, when I first came across Mike's bio, he sounded a bit like a cross between Bear Grylls and Tony Robbins. One of his early major milestones began with an epic journey hitchhiking from New York to Alaska, relying only on the kindness of strangers. I was totally intrigued. Mike, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, you've done amazing things, but let's start with that story. What made you decide hitchhiking to Alaska with no money was a good idea? <laughs> Thank you. But I was um, working as a school teacher in my hometown of Western New York, 10th grade global history. And I started doing these life lessons on Fridays about um, all the things I believe that these 10th graders needed to know in order to be successful in life. And one day we were at the start of 24-hour news networks, this is way back in 2000, we were just getting influenced by all the negative press about everything from something taking place at the far end of our country down in Texas, because I grew up in Western New York. We would believe that it would happen to us. And it started to affect my students' decisions on this basic question. I said, if you were to get a flat tire in your car, and you were out of self-service. Now, this time, self-service was just starting to happen. And then not every kid had a cell phone. In fact, I, I only just got one. I said, if you were broken down the side of the road and somebody came to help you, would you help them 100%, like be right there with them, change the tires, et cetera? Or would you lock yourself in the car and wait for a law enforcement officer to come help you or somebody you knew? Or would you go outside the car, but be far away enough that if they tried something on you, you could run away? Well, the answer was basically 85%. No one would work close to hand with this person. They would not be working shoulder to shoulder with them. And then I said, well, why is that? They really didn't have an answer. So what I told them to do is I go, go home, look at your newspaper and mark all the articles or positive or negative, even the, uh, the uh, wedding announcements. Well, they came back and guess what? 85% of what they had had in their newspaper was negative. So I asked them, why is it that you would not support this individual to try to help you? You wouldn't be working shoulder to shoulder with this person. And they came to the conclusion that media does have an effect on us. Again, remind you, this is the year 2000. 
And out of the sudden, I had an out-of-body experience. And I said to my students, well, to prove that you can believe in the kindness of others, I'm going to hitchhike from Western New York to Alaska with no money or no food. And I'm looking down on myself during this thing going, what did you just say? I mean, what? You're going to do what? And then the second thing that happened, this is God's honest truth. I go, oh boy, I'm in big trouble now because now these kids think you can hitchhike anywhere. And I could just see the teachers and the principal. And I got flack from the principal and the teachers. And I even got called into the police station um, to the chief of police because his son was in my classroom at the time um, saying, you know, you shouldn't be telling kids to, to hitchhike and this stuff. Well, anyway, 85, another interesting thing is about 85% of the people were told me that I would end up dead in the ditch, raped dead in the ditch. I always ended up dead in the ditch, which was really interesting. So now that I set this story up, I literally left my hometown of Western New York, hitchhiked all the way across the North American continent to Alaska and relying on the kindness of others. So some people say, well, what, you didn't take any money? I go, I did not take any money. Absolutely not. Not even a credit card in my shoe or nothing. So what did I do to get across when I was hungry? Well, I would go to a, a restaurant that was family owned. It wasn't like a restaurant chain. I go ask to see the owner or the, the manager, and they say, well, I'm the manager or I'm the owner. I would say, well, my name's Mike Green. I uh, noticed as I was walking by that you had some cigarette butts and trash in your parking lot. If you give me a bag and I'll clean it up for a half hour if you just give me a sandwich. And they get really uncomfortable. Like, uh, no, we don't do that, but we'll just give you something to get you on your way. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't take that. And they were like, get even more uncomfortable. They say, I need to work for it. So eventually, with all the eyes and everybody within hearing distance, because they all looked at me like, who's this guy with a big backpack on? Now, mind you, I was clean shaven, et cetera. I didn't smell. I wasn't dirty in any way. And I ultimately um, went outside with a trash bag and made my way to clean up. And then when I would come in, they'd always have a four-course meal. And then most of the time, they gave me a to-go container. Wow, that's amazing. So you basically did this journey kind of without any safety net because you mm -hmm. wanted to prove a point. True. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you always been like that? Well, I was always somebody who necessarily didn't follow the crowd, right? They didn't take all the courses because everybody else was and take all the 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 exams like everybody else just because I would refuse to be, you know, categorized, if you will. Um, and when I hitchhiked across, you know, I had a tent and things like that. So to answer your question, sometimes, but I don't know, again, I didn't know where this came from. It was like a, as Stephen Pressfield, the author, the awesome author that he is, he, he believes in muse and that we have an idea within us that sometimes if we really get close to it, it supports our internal growth, much like the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's work, right? So if you allow yourself to be in service of others, strange things happen, like an out-of-body experience where you say, yeah, I'm going to hitchhike about 35, uh, 5,300 miles across the continent and then up through desolation, by the way. I guess this is why you're so interesting to me, because everywhere else, I get told that our brains are ancient, <laughs> meaning mm -hmm. it's trying to 
fight really hard to keep us safe, and that makes、mm-hmm. us not want to try adventurous things.、True. I know you're trying to pull us in the other direction, the direction that we need to go into for personal growth, and、mm-hmm. that impacts business, it impacts our family life. You know, it gives us returns in so many ways. It's just that matter of how brave are we, or、mm-hmm. how much do we want that transformation. So it doesn't sound like you have that, you know, that ancient brain part that's holding you back too much. Well, my mother would agree with you wholeheartedly. I would say、mm-hmm. that、um, I understand that there's、uh, perceived risk, and、uh, yes, hitchhiking across America you know, in the North American continent is dangerous, and you have to have your wits about you. There's rides I didn't accept because of that reason, right? So it was、uh, being aware, but inside that growth, where you now small incremental steps of growth or dangers well established can really make a lot of growth for people. The、so、small incremental steps. I happened to out of nowhere to say I'm going to do this huge thing, and it literally did take a ride by ride, small incremental steps to be successful. And it must have been an amazing trip because you decided to stay in Alaska. Alaska must have been good. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing place. I've been to sixty-three countries.、Uh, I've worked on all seven continents. And my book、uh, talks about how I discovered the leadership truths on every continent. So Alaska, this whole story of me going through North America, the leadership truth that I learned was courage and the and the courage to take the first step out of a very safe place. My hometown, and then also courage to accept the kindness of others. So it took me nine and a half days of hitchhiking to get to Alaska. Now I gave up all control. I just had a sign that said "North" on one side and "West" on the other. In fact, I still have that sign. One of my students made it for me, and it, it took thirty-seven rides, and I recorded almost all of those conversations with what we call a mini disc. So again, I'm dating myself, right? The mini disc. I had a little recording. I had a little microphone, and I didn't tell anybody that I was recording him. And I would turn it on and turn it off once the conversation got great. So it was an amazing experience. You're listening to reporter Adeline Ng in conversation with American leadership coach Mike Green on Travel Writers Radio. And it taught me a lot of things, and it also taught my students. And I still go back to my hometown now. Those students are far older. They just thank you. They thank me so much for the idea that people, most people, are kind and want to support your journey or support you in some way. So I guess the question about coaching—it sounds like quite natural that you you've gone through the transformation yourself. You saw what it did for yourself, and、mm-hmm. then you saw how you've started to inspire students from the、mm-hmm. journey that、True. you yourself have gone through. So it's really interesting because you now do this at a high level, and you're taking on business people who are C-suite, you know, and people who are ready for that big bite. Because working with you is not a one-off thing. People tend to, in my world, think of coaching as short-term, you know. Eight、mm-hmm. weeks, twelve weeks at the most, maybe two months. You、mm-hmm. hop in and out, maybe,、um, and it, it's done with. Apart from a cost out of your pocket, there's not a lot of risk or outlay. But with you, they actually have to commit to quite a bit more, including things like leaving your cell phone behind, no communication with your family,、mm-hmm. 
and committing to what is an adventure where you, you don't even really know what, the, what that adventure is going to look like or what right. you're going to discover about yourself. So if, if you can tell us a little bit about how that works. Well, uh, I work with people face-to-face, Zoom, or they come to Alaska to do what I call leadership, Alaska Leadership Adventure, or I meet them somewhere in the world that they've always wanted to go. It's basically what I call adventure coaching. And whether it be in the Wadi Rum of, of the Jordan or going to Petra or going to the castles of Scotland or the tobacco fields of Nicaragua or the Inca Trail in Peru, I work with people in that. So high level, I have coaching engagements up to nine months. Um, that's my minimum, nine months minimum where people come to me where they have something that they want to work on or they want to achieve or they want less of, let's just say for sake conversation. Uh, I have a, I had a client, he was a travel nurse and he was not happy in his, as we call station in life. He was, he was overweight, overworked, had no girlfriend and in debt. And he knew something needed to change and he knew he couldn't do it himself. So he hired me to support him and getting control of his life. We'll just say it that way. Well, I worked with him and he goes, well, nine months, that seems like a long time. I said, well, I'm going to tell you what normally happens. Normally we start working together and in about two to three months, you start to see a major change. And then all of a sudden things happen very quickly. and You find yourself achieving those goals. And then some, because of the way I coach you and you learn how to self-adjust, if you will, or self-coach. And then by nine months, you've got so many great opportunities girlfriend. He made his own schedule. He was well on his way to getting out of debt very quickly. And he had the lifestyle that he wanted where he worked one week at the end of the month and the one week at the beginning of the month, and he can go off hunting or do all the things he wanted to do. So that's an example of that. Now, when they come to Alaska, they have that capstone experience where they have something that they just want to work through. I call it sometimes an intention. I had a client here just recently in Alaska. She's a doctor, a research scientist. She just wanted to be settled in her decision to leave the past chapter behind. She wanted to leave that chapter of building a very successful company and then leaving that well so that she could arrive well into the next chapter, right? Because you need to, my belief is that you, you are to, in order to arrive well into the next chapter, you have to leave well that chapter, in my opinion, or at least put it behind you and say, okay, I learned all these lessons, let's move forward. Now, my tagline is I believe leaders are made in the wild or formed in the wild. Well, leaders, anybody who leads, we lead in relationships with our family members, our loved ones, our coworkers, et cetera. Formed, we take whatever we have right now and we work with it and we form something better or something less than painful or more joy or more self-worth, if you will, for those people who have that imposter syndrome, if you will. And then the wild can be anything. It could be the bush of Alaska, which is right outside my door here. I'm in Alaska right now in the log cabin. It was built in 1958. Or the wild could be a business office. It could be in the boardroom. It could be in a conversation, a crucial conversation with a coworker that you really didn't have the, the tools necessary to work through the the angst that you have. So that's what it looks like working with me. Some of my clients love to start with me and then say, okay, 
four months into it, they go, I want to come to Alaska in the spring. Okay, great. Well, we'll do that. We'll just continue working together on this trajectory. And then Alaska will be an experience that even Alaska or say the adventure coaching in, we'll say Petra, if you will, that becomes such a powerful experience and an anchor of, I can do this. And then that epiphany or aha moment, or that no more will I do this is anchored in that strength of awe of being in Petra. I mean, it's an amazing, amazing place. Or Wadi Rum, it's it's just incredible. Something right out of Lawrence of Arabia. How could you not be in awe there, right? So um, that's what I do. What is it about the wild, though, you think, that sort of facilitates that transformation? Yeah. Well, my one of my great friends said to me that nature nature kills pretense, right? So you think you're going to be able to do this and nature teaches you something different, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, when the wind comes up or there's a rainstorm coming, uh, you got to be prepared. I think what happens with the wild is we don't have our cell phones. We don't have that anchor of, I need stimuli. It doesn't work. Sometimes I tell my clients, don't even bring your phone, buy a camera, or you can borrow mine. We don't have that stimulization. Guess what happens? We have to be with ourselves. And that to people is really, really scary. Because that naysayer voice in the back of their head can easily say, you can't climb to the top of that mountain. You're going to be miserable out here. You don't even know if there's a bear behind that bush or that bush over there. You're going to get eaten by wolves. All these crazy things. Well, guess what? There is no escape from your own mind when you don't have any stimuli that you've been used to. I'm bored. So what do you do? You grab your phone. You look at a TikTok video. Or I'm going to read an email. That gives me praise. Or I'm going to delete the things I don't want to see on my phone, right? So when you're out there, you're dealing with the current situation and you're taking stock. So I put you in situations safely um, where I say, we're going to climb that mountain today. And you're going to go, there's no way I can do that. And I said, well, let's just take it step by step. And so, so begins the metaphor of the day or that experience. So you and I, we, we hike up to a mountain top of the mountain and you're up there, your exhilaration is like, wow, that was awesome. I can't believe I did it. I say, okay, well, let's get a couple of pictures before that rain comes in. Then we get down the mountain safely. And then at the end of the night around a a warm fire or inside of a nice warm cabin, I'll say to you, so earlier today, you felt that you couldn't do that. You did. So is there anything else in your life that you feel like you can't do and how can we relate today's powerful experience towards overcoming that self-induced perception of, I can't do that. And um, that's how I, that's basically, that's a basic foundation of what I do. Some people say, well, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So I could do that anywhere. Well, yeah, well, I've got over 11,000 hours documented. I'm a master certified coach with the International Coach Federation. There's no better organization in the world or on the planet. And I'm one of 1,400 people that have that level. So that's what makes it even more powerful because I am so comfortable in the outdoors, so easily comfortable that I support you because I've been doing it for years and 30 years out in the bush of different parts of the world. And I guess that's also where people can park that ancient brain. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because they feel a little bit more safe with you. Mm-hmm. You know the area, you know what you're dealing with, with the natural elements. So they can allow themselves to explore um, that side of themselves and mm-hmm. that belief piece uh, that they can be successful at something that they 
thought they couldn't do before is just so important as something that will actually give you like that engine start to Mm -hmm. get to the destination you want to get to. So I, I, I love that. And I also love how I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but every destination that you take somebody to, you connect with something in that local area mm-hmm. for a lesson or for that lesson. For example, I think your book highlights the eagle hunters of Mongolia and how they have a practice that rivals great leaders in business, military, even pro sports. Can you share the connection there? Like people wouldn't normally connect the two immediately. Right. So in Mongolia, to the far west, there's a place called the Atalai Mountains, and that's where the snow leopard is from or lives. And in that region is the Kazakh Golden Eagle Hunters. Now, five years ago, there was a very famous short movie uh, about a woman, um, a young um, huntress. She was an eagle hunter. And to become an eagle hunter from this ancient uh, tribe, if you will, of hunters, you have to be rich. Not in that sense, it's rich in the sense of money. You have to have something to be able to feed this golden eagle with. And golden eagles get the best of all, everything. They get the best spot in their gear, right? Because they have a circular home, right? Because they are nomadic. They get the best meat. They get the best cut of the meat, etc. And the eagle hunter has to, what leadership truth I learned from them was intention, the intention of being, they're all in to become an eagle hunter because their father's 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 generation was one. And just to get an old golden eagle, you really have to want it because it takes a lot to even get a golden eagle and then train it and then ultimately hunt with it. And the interesting thing is, is that the golden eagle hunters you know, they might get a rabbit here and there and a fox here and there, but um, they they don't make a lot off of it. They, they just have that intention of, I am fully stepping into what it means to be this golden eagle hunter. So how do I transition that to leadership? Well, there is a truth about you, whoever's listening now, that if someone was to speak of you to a other colleague, say, hey, I'm, I'm about to work with John or Jane Doe here. Um, what do you know about them? And then you would say, well, they're honest, they're hardworking, or they're reactive, uh, or uh, they're fast moving. Well, that's a truth that we could probably say about ourselves, right? Let's just say for sake conversation, someone would say about the listener here um, that they're honest. Now, that is a truth that you can utilize to your advantage because once, if you make a decision on leadership through that truth, you are going to make a congruent decision. I'm not saying it's going to be right all the time, but it's going to be congruent. Everyone will know that your intention is positive. His intention is to be congruent as a person, right? And I believe that when we are congruent making leadership decisions, even if we fail, even if we fail miserably, anyone with a basic sense of emotional intelligence will give them the benefit of the doubt. It's a real, authentic, vulnerable moment that builds relationship and most likely respect. And that's what we want in our leaders, right? We want to be able to respect our leaders. We want to be able to um, understand that they are human. That was Adelaide Nung speaking with Mike Green. To hear the extended interview... Just search for Adelaine's podcast, Upon Arrival, using your favourite podcast player. 
This is the Travel Writer Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne.